Revelation chapter 3, what was the name of the church that we talked about last week? The church at? Sardis, that's right. Now, see if you can remember what two things did we say. And we talked about the remnant last week, remember? Because the Bible says in verse number 4 of Revelation 3, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So what did we say about the remnant last week? We said they were, do you remember? Either one of those things? They were a blank remnant. Starts with a V. Both of them did. We said that they were a virtuous remnant. Pulled it out of the file. I saw it. It was like, oh, it's right there. Virtuous. Virtuous remnant. And then we also said that they were a what? Remember the second? Victorious remnant. Very good. So they were virtuous, but then they were victorious. So we said that it came down to the fact that they were strong on personal righteousness. They were strong on holiness. So here we have a church that from all outward appearances is a good church, right? Um, in fact, let's, let's, just, let's just pick back up. I read 4, 5, and 6. Let's go back and read verse 1, 2, and 3. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now that, those three verses, are kind of the condemnation of that church. Um, God's not very strong strong in, in, in his condemnation of them. It seemed like for the most part they were a pretty good church, but this was a church that was born amid the mighty rushing wind and the cloven tongues of fire of Pentecost. And as we mentioned last week, there was a remnant of those that the Lord very highly commended. We looked at verse 4, verse 5. I think it's interesting to note that the Lord does not punish the righteous with the unrighteous. He doesn't punish the righteous with the wicked. Uh, he discerns those that are pure in heart, and he separates those who are pure in heart from those who are not. Because he gives a condemnation in verse 1, 2, and 3 to those who were living as Christians, but, or you know, were looking like Christians, but were not. And then he distinguishes those from this remnant, this group of people who really were living as Christians. And he says, this is what I'm going to do for you, the righteous. In fact, what the Lord said about them, I think, you know, overall there was nothing harsh to condemn. There was also nothing noteworthy to commend either, um, other than this remnant, this group that was doing what God wanted them to do. And I think, you know, honestly, what the Lord said about them could almost be one of the worst sentences that could ever be pronounced on a church. Um, and we'll talk about why. Let's talk about what was wrong with the church at Sardis this evening. And the first thing is that they were found wanting by the Lord. This church in Sardis was unlike any other church that Paul and John wrote harshly against. Uh, we think about the church at Corinth. He took all of 1st and 2nd Corinthians to just address a huge number of issues with that church, right? Same thing with Ephesus. I mean, they had allowed false doctrine. They had allowed this. And the church at Galatia, I mean, they had allowed a lot of things that Paul had to condemn 
And then you get into Revelation and you see the things that John is having to condemn with some of these churches. You don't see any of that harsh condemnation of false doctrine. You don't see any of that harsh condemnation of, you know, you've allowed all this stuff to come into your church and it shouldn't be there. You don't see any of that with the church at Sardis. Um, they weren't in great doctrinal error. They had all their doctrine in order. To someone coming to visit or someone looking at them from the outside, you would say that that was a pretty good church. It seemed to indicate that this was a great church, in fact. They looked like Christians. They talked like Christians. They acted like Christians. They had everything in place. But they're given a reproof because they were found wanting by the Lord. And a pretty severe reproof it was. Um, he says right there in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. Hypocrisy was the sin that was leveled against the church at Sardis. They were hypocrites. They pretended like everything was good on the outside. You know, hypocrisy by, is something that's usually hard to see on the outside. The very nature of what hypocrisy is means that you're pretending to be something that you're not, right? So everybody sees what you're pretending to be. They don't see the other side of it. But maybe what this church at Sardis was failing to remember is that the one who knows all things knew this church very well. And his condemnation of this church was that they were a, a group full of hypocrites, right? He says, I know thy works. Thou hast a name that thou livest. You look good. You've got this name, but you're dead. This church had gained a great reputation. It had a name. It was a very honorable one. It was a flourishing church. It had a vital outreach into their area, vital religion, um, purity of doctrine, unity among themselves. They had uniformity in their worship. They, I mean, they had everything together. And if you looked at them from the outside, you would think that this was a great church. There was nothing that you could condemn this church for. If you went into the church at Corinth, then somebody that was discerning could look at them and say, wow, this church has a lot of problems. Paul did that, right? You go into the church at, at Ephesus, and wow, this church has a lot of problems. If you walked into the church in Sardis, you would be able to look around and you would say, wow, this is a great church. There's nothing wrong with this place. But God knows the hearts. And God condemned the church at Sardis because they had a name that they lived, but they were dead. We don't read of any division among them. Everything appeared well, at least as to what could be observed by people on the outside. But this church did not live up to its reputation. In fact, keep your finger there in Revelation. We're going to come right back to it. But turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. By the way, reputation is what people think of you. And that could be a good or a bad thing. You could have a bad reputation and be a good person, Right? Um, just because you have a bad reputation does not always mean that this is true. I mean, look, you think about it with a, a business, a restaurant, or something like that, and some famous person goes to this restaurant, and they perceive that something happened, and so they write a bad review about this place, and now this place has a bad reputation. It may be true. It may not be true. Reputation is what people think about you. Now, we usually think about a reputation as being a good thing, um, you know, man, he's got a good reputation, and so you probably are a pretty good person, but sometimes you can have a good reputation and not be a good person, right? Because reputation is only what people think of you. Character is what you really are. Character is what you are when nobody's watching you. Character is what you do when you're by yourself, and that's the real you. So reputation, yeah, I guess it matters, especially when it comes to business and everything else, but not before God. 
Reputation only matters in the eyes of men. Character matters in the eyes of God. Their reputation was that they were a good church with everything in order, but they were dead. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and this is describing basically what's going to happen in the last days, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. What does he say about that? From such, turn away. There was a name to live, but not a principle of life. They were living, having a form of godliness, but they were living with no power. We have to assume that there was, I think, just great deadness in their soul. There was deadness in their service. There was deadness in their, uh, in the spirits of their pastors, a great deadness in their daily work, in their praying, in their preaching, deadness in the people in hearing and in their prayer and in their conversation and everything. I mean, that's the only thing we can assume about this. Uh, it would seem like this church was great for starting things, but not for completing them. D.L. Moody said, I would rather say this one thing I do than say these 40 things I dabble with. You know, and, and that's what a lot of churches do, honestly. They dabble with a lot of things. Let's go, let's go start this ministry and do this and do this and do this. And they get it going, and then it kind of fizzles out. And, well, we have this ministry. We Look at this list of ministries we have, but really they're doing two or three of them, right? It's, it's living a form of a great church, but, but having no power. It's, it's dead. And that's what this church at Sardis was. They were, they were dabbling instead of doing. I'm sure they had dozens of programs, no doubt, that they were trying to, um, you know, used to, to, to keep this form up, but none of them had come to anything worthwhile. They were living on the outside the way that a Christian should live, but on the inside they were dead. And I don't know if there's anything worse that you can say about a Christian or about a church than that they look like Christians, but they don't act like an inside when they're alone. On top of all that, what little was left, what little life was left, among them was expiring. It was ready to die. He says that in verse number two, back in Revelation 3 and verse number two. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Now, I think the Lord touches quite tenderly on the problem here in Sardis. He could have come down a whole lot harder than, than he did on them. Uh, they obviously had some things that were still left that were alive. Uh, but even those things were in danger of just becoming dead religion. The fact that they still had a remnant there means that probably at one point, most of them were all like that remnant that was left. Most of them probably were vibrant Christians, alive in their spirituality and, and living in the power of God, busy serving God. But now all that's left is just a remnant of the people that were doing that. And so now they're, they're, they've lost a lot of things. It's dead and it's dying, and there's still just enough left that God says you better shore those things up before you lose everything that you have. If they didn't restore those things that were left, they, they too would become like the rest of the church. This remnant was the only thing that was keeping that church alive. It was like the little girl who was, you know, she was required to take her birth certificate to school, and somehow she lost it on the way. And... She started crying about that, and the janitor saw her crying and asked her what was wrong, and she said, I've lost my excuse for being born. And honestly, that's exactly what happened at the church in Sardis. They lost their excuse for being born. They are born as a church that was vibrant, that was doing something for God, and they lost their excuse for living for him. 
So they were, they were found wanting by the Lord. But back in Revelation chapter 3, I think the second thing that we can say, and, and probably, probably the most important thing that we can say about, about this church and, and what was wrong with them is they forgot the magnitude of their holy calling. They forgot the magnitude of their holy character. Remember, therefore, he says, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If God had to tell them to remember, then that means that there was something that along the way they forgot, right? That means they had it, but he's trying to tell them to remember what you used to have. Remember how it used to be. Then that means there's something that they forgot about along the way. They were in serious danger because they had forgotten, or maybe we could even say they neglected Sounds better to say they forgot, and, and maybe that's the way God was saying that because they did forget, and they weren't just neglecting, but they, they forgot the magnitude of the holy calling that they were given. A church is to be a holy place. The people in it are to be holy people, and they forgot that. We're not even, you know, they, they had sold their birthright for a mess of pottage, to use the example of Jacob and Esau. They had something that was so valuable, and they sold it for something that didn't count for anything. We're not even given here anything that would indicate that worldliness had crept in or, or you know, made them forget the things that they had. We can maybe assume that that just might be a part of the equation. I, I don't know, but the fact is they just forgot what God had done. So let me give you a couple things about that. First of all, there should be a remembrance of the past. John Newton you know him as the author of Amazing Grace and, and a lot of other songs that we sing. He was uh, plagued from his earliest days as an unconverted man uh, with a very treacherous memory. And on three separate occasions, he, he talked about this later, and, and of course he's been dead for many, many years. He lived in the 1700s. But John Newton talked about this later, and he said on three different occasions God spoke to him, and each time... He completely forgot about God speaking to him, and he sank lower and lower and lower in his life until eventually he became the slave of a slave on a ship. And they got into the middle of a terrible storm one night, and two women in particular had prayed for them. One of them was his mother, and she had spoken with him on several occasions about how he needed to give his life to the Lord, how he needed to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. And in the middle of a bad storm one night, he felt like he was about to die. And he remembered his mother's words. He remembered the fact that she and others were praying for him. And he got saved that night on the deck of that ship. And they obviously made it through the storm and everything else. But he left the sea. He went into the ministry. But over the mantelpiece in his study, he had a sign, a little text that he had printed out that, was, that came from Deuteronomy 15, 15. And it said, Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman, in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. He had that over his mantle because what a reminder of what God had done for him and what God's done for us. John Newton says that after his conversion, he could never forget again. And he said, he said on the deck of that sinking ship, the Lord seemed to look into, his, into my very soul. He wrote these words, Sure, never tell my latest breath, can I forget that look? It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. There should be a remembrance of the past. That command to Sardis was very clear. It says that in Revelation 3, 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. Every church is born in a time of revival. Every church is born when the Holy Spirit is moving in somebody's heart or usually a lot of somebody's hearts. 
or a church wouldn't have started. It's only when we forget the first moving of the Holy Spirit that a church settles down and becomes institutionalized, for lack of a better term. And boy, we're, we're, we're young. We're still, we're still, as a church, in our infancy. But that's something that if we're not careful, we'll fall into that trap and we'll just do church because that's what we do. We don't want to become an institution. We're not an institution. We're a living, breathing organism. God births a church. A church is not a corporation. It's not a, 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 an institution. It is a living, breathing, thriving thing. And that's the way that it should be. But what happens is when we forget what gives life to a church, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit, and we start doing things in our own power just because this is the way that we've always done them. I and, well, look, the auditorium is full, so as long as we keep doing what we've always done, then we might as well just keep doing it because the auditorium will stay full. When God wants to expand and grow and keep that life in there, that's what they lost at the church at Sardis. We went to a, uh, a meeting on, on Monday night, just this past Monday night, at a church down in Smithfield. And some of you might recognize this name, but Clarence Sexton, he started uh, Crown College many, many years ago, uh, 19... 88, I think. Um, yeah, I, I guess around 1988, but, but they have a, a very, very large church down in Tennessee, and, and um, I, I won't get into all of the things, but, but you know, especially in a big church, you, you get the, uh, you run the very strong risk of just having ministries for the sake of having ministries. I think he said they have something like 140 ministries or something like that, um, but he got to talking about some of those things because, you know, he said... He, he said, most people talk about having 25 or 30 years of ministry experience when actually they have one year of ministry experience 25 or 30 times. And that's, you know, that's, that's what happens with so many churches. They just do the same thing over and over and over and over. And it runs because it's just like a machine. But that's not the way that a church is supposed to run. He said, I've always operated under the ministry philosophy that if it ain't broke, break it. <laughs> If it ain't broke, break it. Because we, we just get to the place where we're just doing this because this is what we always do. And we have to be so careful that we don't fall into that trap. Churches fall into the danger of, of the movement becoming a monument. And we don't want it to be that. God demanded that the church at Sardis remember their heritage. So there should be a remembrance of the past. But the second thing is there must be a recognition of the present. He says this in verse number three, hold fast and repent. What he's demanding here is self-examination and self-judgment. Examine yourself and then judge yourself. A pastor, he was a pastor in England, was telling a story of the time that he stayed with some of his friends in England, and, and they had two boys and, and full of life and, you know, just, just pretty wild and whatever else, like most boys are. But one night, the parents went out to uh, an evening meeting, and he went with them, and he, he had been staying at their house. He was the special speaker at the meeting that they were at. And so they all went out. They left the boys at home by themselves. They were old enough to stay there, so they, they stayed there at, at the house. And uh, when they got home that night, it just seemed like eerily still. And so they walked into the house, and basically all the lights were off. There was no movement, no noise, nothing in there. And they, they called out for the boys. They didn't hear anything. And so they turned on some lights, and, and there, laying on the floor in the living room, was a lamp that was broken into a bunch of pieces. It was an antique lamp that the mother just loved this lamp. And on the table next to the lamp was a little note that the, that the boys had written. It said, Dear Mom and Dad, we're terribly sorry. We knocked over the vase and broke it 
we've put ourselves to bed without any supper. And in, in telling that story, Alan Redpath said this. He said, what do you think the father did? Do you think he went upstairs and hauled those boys out of bed and gave them a beating? Not a bit of it. They had passed judgment on themselves, and the parents were disarmed. And that's exactly what God is telling us to do. He says, hold fast and repent. If we're willing to judge ourselves, then God doesn't have to do the judging for us. And that's part of what a church is that it, that's alive. Uh, you know, they were, they were to hold fast the things that they had received so they wouldn't lose it all. And then they were sincerely to repent for the things that they had already lost. They're has to be a recognition of the present. And then the third thing is there has to be a readiness for the future. If you look at the last half of Revelation 3 and verse number 3, he says, If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. Thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. The second coming of the Lord is, is likened to a thief coming. A thief comes in the middle of the night when you're not expecting him. But I don't think that's what the thought is here. I think the point that's being made here is that the Lord is going to come suddenly upon this church, which has nothing but an empty reputation, and he's going to break it up. I don't think he's saying that, you know, he's not going to come back at the second coming and they're not going to be ready for him necessarily, necessarily but a thief comes to, to steal and to spoil and to just take out anything that's valuable. And, and I think, you know, their deadness was keeping them in security. They, uh, because they're, you know, th that was, it was clouding their judgment. They're not going to be able to discern the Lord's coming. They're not going to be able to prepare for the Lord's coming. And when he shows up to be at a meeting, they're not going to be ready for it. And he's just going to pass the judgment on them. And, 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 you know, the Lord is warning this local church that if there's not self-judgment, that he is going to come suddenly and he's going to break it up. And they're not going to have the church left there anymore. They were just comfortable with the way everything was, but it was dead. And God is saying, I'm going to come like a thief comes. I'm going to take out anything that's valuable, and you're going to be left with an empty shell. That's it. What they are on the outside of their reputation will be made known to everybody that they're true hypocrites. And that's exactly what God is talking about. You know, we don't, we certainly try not to be hypocrites, but what's going to, what happens when we are is that God is eventually going to expose that. We're going to be exposed for who we really are. Everybody's always exposed for who they really are in the end, right? The Bible says, and be sure your sin will find you out. Hypocrisy is a sin. We're commanded not to live as hypocrites. I mean, look how, how strongly he condemned the Pharisees for them being hypocrites, right? So they were found wanting by the Lord. They forgot the magnitude of their calling. And lastly, and very quickly, very quickly, we're, we're basically done. And this kind of really goes um, really back onto the last point that we just talked about. But the reason for the deadness was they let down their watch. You see two things in Revelation 3 and verse 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Verse 3. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know the hour I will come upon thee. The cause of their sinful deadness and the dissension of this church into absolute nothingness, really, was that they had let down their watch. And that's something that we, as a church, have to be so careful of. We're still very much alive, but we're still very much young. And the older we get, and the longer we do these ministries, and the longer we have church, and the longer we gather together, and the longer all of us are together, we have that 
that, that temptation to just stop watching. We, we have to, you know, whenever we're off our watch, we lose ground. The enemy is looking to take over and to take any advantage of us that he can. We have to make sure that we're watchful against sin. We have to make sure we're watchful against Satan. We have to make sure that we're watchful against whatever is destructive to life and the power of godliness. And that's something that, that this church at Sardis stopped doing. They stopped watching. They let their guard down and they lost ground very rapidly to the place where God said, you look like a church. You act like a church. You talk like a church, and to somebody on the outside looking in, they would think that you're one of the best churches out there, but you're dead. And I think one of the worst things that we can do, I think something that's, that's the scariest thing is not just that we're living without God's power, but that we get used to living without that power. And we continue doing everything the way that we've always done it without that power. Bad enough losing God's power. But I think it's even worse to lose God's power and then continue on as if you had it. And that's what this church had done. And that's what we have to be so careful that we don't do. We have to be on watch. We have to do whatever it takes as individuals and as a church to keep the power of the Holy Spirit fresh on this place. Because we risk falling into the same trap that so many other churches have fallen into that they look like a great church on the outside, but inside, the people are just dead. What a sad, sad commentary of a church to say that they're continuing to do what a good church does, but they're doing it without God's power. May we never get to the point as a church where we're just doing church to do it. May we never get to the point in our ministries where we're doing it just because that's what we've always done. Be watchful. And live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this won't be the pronouncement on Mount Victory Baptist Church. What a sad pronouncement of Sardis. You have a name that you live, but you're dead. Boy, that's something we better be careful for. Better watch out for. We don't want to have a form of godliness and have no power. Let's make sure that we, as individuals that make up this church, are living in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we as a church collectively don't die. We want God to be pleased. We want God to be glorified, and that's the way that he will be. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for our time together tonight. And God, I pray that you would use it in our hearts and use it in our church to help us be exactly what you want us to be. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.